show is brought to you by MillenniLink, where talent and digital transformations intersect. Hey, Britt. Jess, what's going on? Not so much over here, but I saw you got out of town this weekend. Yes, it was a quick 24 hours, but we went upstate, got out of the city for a bit, visited the parents, went hiking. Um, I just needed to get out of the city. Upstate is looking ever so glam. Everybody's buying these country homes and having these country getaways. And I want to I want to get up there sometime. I want to use it's your pool. Your parents' you pool looks come. sick. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? So like we're seeing so many people make a decision on if they're going to stay in the city or they're, they're going to relocate upstate or in a different country, state, whatever it may be. And Soho House, there's rumors that they are actually opening up a new location in upstate right in Rhinebeck. Oh my gosh, because they have that famous like Soho country house in outside of London, mm-hmm. which looks just amazing. So I'd be very excited. But you bring up a really good point. I feel like the same conversation I'm having with everybody right now is whether or not it's time to leave the city. And that's sort of a daunting conversation, right? Because everybody comes here to make it and you don't really leave until you're forced out by like having babies or you can't afford it anymore, this and that. So it's it kind of sucks. What, what's your vibe at with it? Honestly, I think it's really like people are thinking about it for the next year because if you don't have to be here in the city, why are you spending exorbitant amounts on rent? And if I, like granted, I knew from all this that I absolutely need to be in the city, but it really makes you question like, where are you? Do you have a partner? Are you trying to start a family? Yes. Like, what do the next few years look like? Yeah. And based on that, then people are deciding. Or like if schools are opening or not. Like there's so many major factors that are unknown that I think people are just trying to figure out like what do we know mm-hmm. and what's going to be best for our life. So my girlfriends that I feel like are sort of really on the edge, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I talk to them and I say, okay, let's look at your life. Like, are you dating somebody? Are you even in a remote relationship that does not count for like three Bumble dates? I like him. I hope it goes somewhere. Like, it, are you in something real? And then what are you doing for work? Like, do you feel like your job is on the chopping block? Like, could there be no company to work for anymore? Like, where are you at in terms of that? And if there's anything in either one of those um avenues in your life like if there's anything there that's remotely substantial then stick it out like we all came here for the hustle we all came here to try and make it so this times are tough like things I was reading actually about the I was like what happened in previous pandemics like how long did it take to get back to normal like I went into some dark internet research last night and you also were saying earlier like 9-11 they say three to five years then everybody came back right yeah my landlord the guy who meant actually the property manager for my building he was saying that before, like he was doing the same position when 9-11 hit. Everyone ran. They were scared. And it took three to five years for people to slowly come back. But then, like, again, like the rent skyrocketed. People yeah. were dying to come back to the city. So I think that it's a matter of, like, do you want to stick it out? Because for me, like, like you said, like, I'm not in this, like, serious relationship. Yeah. Dude, you're running, like, in... three businesses. You got to stay here. You've got stuff going on. <laughs> I gotta, but you know what's funny is that, like, if, so obviously two of them are remote. Yeah. But, like, Butini is not. But if I could be remote, I probably would take this year to travel and, like, live somewhere else. Wouldn't you? Here's my analysis. Everybody I know is trying to buy in the Hamptons. They're thinking, like, wow, like, an eight-bedroom home for the same amount of money that I pay for, like, a one-and-a-half-bedroom in the city. The thing is, is people who come here, like they have that in their blood, like they're New York people in their blood. So you're going to sit out there, you're going to have a pool, you're going to be excited about it. A year into it, you're going to be like, I become my parents. Like I'm in the suburbs. Like what's going on? Like that's not who I'm trying to be. So 
that's my that's my assessment of the situation. We'll see what happens. All I'll say is if you are leaving the city just because you want more space at your parents' house, the pandemic isn't just happening in these big cities. It's happening everywhere. You're going to feel the same sort of emotion and pressures, but just with more space. So stick it out, stay tough, and don't leave. Jess, so I'm actively hiring for my company, and I'm genuinely obsessed with our show sponsor, Millennialink. Not only are they a tech recruiting firm, but they're kind of like professional matchmakers. Oh my gosh, I am also obsessed with our show sponsor, Millennialink, but tell me why they are professional matchmakers. <laughs> they're matchmakers in the sense that they work with the businesses, understand their like long-term vision for the company, and create this whole workforce plan for the business. And they're there to understand what the long-term plan is for the company. And then on the flip side, they work with employees, do some professional branding, understand their strengths and weaknesses, and create relationships between companies and prospective employees to make sure it's a really good fit. Millennialink has a pool of talent coming from the U.S. and Canada that have been living or working or educated in both places, and now they're looking for new employment opportunities, and Millennialink is ready to link you up with those tech and IT professionals. One thing that is so great about this business is just how easy it is to use. So you just hit the link in our bio and immediately you will be connected to a recruiter. From there, they will go through all your employment needs with you. And the best part about it is you pay salaries in Canadian dollars. And what I've learned, which I thought was pretty cool, is that many of the companies that work with Millennialink aren't necessarily tech companies. They're companies of all different industries that need tech and IT professionals. So whether you're a part of a small business, medium size, or large enterprise, tech needs are more in demand than ever before. So reach out to the link in our bio, talk to the Millennialink team, and see how they can better support your business needs and your future goals. Welcome to today's episode of Cake for Breakfast. Cake for Breakfast is a mix of the news you need, biz, stocks, and tech, and the news you want, celebs, gossip, and beauty. Welcome to Cake for Breakfast. Today on the show, we're talking Miley Cyrus on Call Her Daddy, Rent the Runway's business pivot, and drama at the TikTok Clubhouse. I am so excited to get into our first story of the day, which is a review of Miley Cyrus on the bombshell interview she did on Call Her Daddy podcast. So Miley joined the number one podcast host in the world, shout out Alex Cooper, of Call Her Daddy to talk about single life. Yes, she just dumped Cody Simpson. Not sure Aww. if you're aware of that yet or not. Her hot new single, Midnight Sky, listened to it, loved it. It's it's Miley at her best. Love the music video too. It was just brilliant. And she gets specific on what she's looking for in a relationship. So what did you think of the episode? So I know how much you love this podcast and I listened in and I loved Miley on it. I feel like she was so uncensored, really real. Um, I really like I learned from Miley, like of life experiences just by listening to the hour on their podcast. Right. Like I love how she analyzes a relationship and she says that she looks for what someone brings to the table. And if it's just their plate, like she's not interested. I thought that was a great analysis of how to like approach relationships. She wants somebody who brings a plate and can fill up her plate too. She's not just having people come to her table and they want to be filled up from her. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) The difference between listening to this podcast episode versus listening to Miley on The Tonight Show or like any kind of TV medium is that she was talking about how she has to get her outfits approved and it's all censored on what they can and cannot talk about. And whereas a podcast like 
it, you become a lot more relatable. And she was very mindful of staying relatable throughout the talk. And I think that celebrities, like, that they're trying to be less and less, like, unreachable and more relatable to everyone else in the world. And so a few things that I loved that I took away from this podcast was that she said, put yourself into places where you'll be successful. Yeah, love that. She said, you can filter your life and you can accept what you want and what you will not. She believes that someone who treats themselves really well is a reflection on how they're going to treat you. So in terms of putting yourself and being successful, if you're wanting to settle down with three kids in the next two years, if you're looking for a husband in the club at 4 a.m., that might not be the best place for you to succeed in getting married. I love that. Yeah, (laughs) we've all met that club guy. We've all tried to change him. But girlfriend, you meet him at the club. You see him at the club again. (laughs) Jess, do you remember on Friday when we were out for drinks, right? um, Pretty close to your apartment. I said that there was a guy that I ran into from Marquee like seven years ago. Oh my God. Yes, he was hot. He was cute. He was like a Brazilian guy. No, he was Arab. Definitely Arab. Definitely No, I think they were all Brazilian. We were there with our editor, Kiana. So we'll have to check in with her. Okay. But this just shows to Miley's point is that we went there when we were like college girls one night, met these guys. They're super hot at the time. We hung out with them after and we're like, maybe this would turn into something. They're so hot. And then we go back there. I think I went back there like last year and I saw him there doing the same exact thing, trying to get young girls. I'm like, (laughs) okay, this is not the place for me to find a husband. Those guys never change. One thing slightly controversial I want to say is Miley Cyrus really presents herself as like a business boss, CEO, white man. She is not the typical artist. I've spent a couple of years now working in LA, working around creatives and artists, and everybody has this very big opinion of their artistry in that. And Miley Cyrus, I do not get that vibe out of her. The way she talks in this podcast, everything is business first. Everything is, she even says like, I'm looking for a more girly girl woman in a relationship right now. That's just her whole vibe. It's not about like, oh, I'm trying to be this creative, this or that. Like her whole thing is business, 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 p Well, even when she talked about sex, she's like, I'm like, I need it quick. Like, don't give me a lot of foreplay. I'm not into it. I don't have the time for that because I need to be making records. (laughs) I need to make deals. And I'm like, you go you. I'm pushing back because I don't think it needs to be her acting like a guy. I think she's morphing into this modern day woman where we all can be like that, where it's like, all right, like if someone, she made a, a comparison where if she was like, oh, if a guy was late to her child, his child's birthday party, it'd be like, oh, he's so busy. But then if a girl's like, hey, you got to hurry up and like oh, get she's this like done as they're sleeping with someone, then they're gonna be like, wow, you're a fucking asshole. And so she was playing off on the double standard. Yeah. You got that vibe, right? She's very androgynous. She's very masculine. And I don't hate it. There's nothing about it. I hate it. Like, she's just a total boss. I don't like the term boss bitch, but she's like taking on a new meeting for the the boss bitch. And it's really powerful for women who want to run their own businesses and want to be successful and don't want to have to apologize for it. She did mention, like you're saying, her dad... Um, he missed a lot of her birthdays and growing up, it was just like, sorry, Billy's working. Like, you know, everyone got over it and moms don't miss birthdays, but dads are allowed to. And I, 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 I agree. Like, let's change the conversation on that. 
So the last point that I loved about this conversation was where she was talking about how she as a female, like confident woman who's successful, it sometimes made dating very hard when guys were not as confident as her or didn't love how she could support herself on her own. And this just made me relate to it because there's so many badass women I know and we go on dates and we almost like have to play not, I don't, but I think sometimes there's this need where we feel like we have to play down. Like, oh, you want to take care of us? Like, oh, you want to pay the bill? Oh, you want to do this? Like, please take care of me. When in fact, we don't need to. It's more of like a want. And so she was just like honing in on that like dynamic and trying to find a dynamic that works for her. And she finds that mostly when she can be more of the masculine role and cater to a woman, she feels a lot more confident because guys generally lack that confidence that she needs to feel them. The next one made me a little sad considering I just started my membership, but here's the story. Run the Runway is not shutting down, but they've made the decision to close all of its stores aside from their New York City flagship. Britt, I saw this headline and I was like, oh my God, not Rent the Runway. I love this business. No. So what's happening I here? I know. The, the headline of this article made me scared that they're just shutting down because who's really renting clothes for events right now when there's zero happening? But they're just really a matter of cutting costs and trying to end leases so they can refocus their efforts into the Dropbox locations so more and more people can easily drop off the clothes that they wore and get new clothes the next day. Oh, that's smart. That honestly, this whole business model is made on ease. So if they're just like putting more money into Dropbox, dro- excuse me, Dropbox locations, I think that's actually a great business pivot for the COVID moment for this business. So I do like it. I get it. That means it's fine for now and everyone has to pivot and lean out. But I loved going in and having that in-person experience. And I think before COVID, there were so many companies trying to figure out how can we make this really unique personal experience because we don't want everything just to be digital. So I'm just hoping that after everything settles down, people move back to the cities, feel more comfortable going to events again, that they're going to find new ways to adapt and pivot so that they can make it easier to not only like drop off, but allow people to try on and to discover because that's why I personally love the brand. Well, I remember because I've been following this company. I think I've been around since the early days. They Were they like a 2012 launch, something in there? Like I think something like 2010. Early days, yeah. And one thing uh, with that company is they've, they've always expanded. They've always tried to find new ways to accommodate the customer and grow with their customer. I remember, I think it was last year, they added on like personal styling, come into the store, you get your own person. Like they're definitely trying to grow, but props to these two chicks. I think they're two Harvard MBAs that came up with the idea. I remember listening to them on Guy, How I Built This Podcast, whatever his name is. And they were just like calling up Dion von Futzenberg and they're two Harvard girls just trying to find a way to to start their own business. So I actually appreciate this move. I hear what you're saying with not having the in-person stores because they did definitely work on having their product in stores. You could go try on dresses before events and that was a cool attribute. But I just I, I like the I like the Dropbox location that that makes everything easier. Market minute of the day. 
Is Robin Hood thinking of going public? Brittany, have you set up your Robin Hood account yet? Like I've told you to a million times. No. So I got, <laughs> they have so many different companies like offering you like free stocks of this. Free, if you sign up for Robin Hood, it's like, oh, you can either get a penny stock or you can get a stock from Facebook. Yeah. So it you, sounds really cool. I still free need Free share. That. Free. They're offering free shares. A free share. share yeah. Free Come share. on. Get into the Fair. trader lingo. Sorry. You're the finance girl on the show. You're dating Trader <laughs> Joe now. You got to be in, you got to be on top of this stuff. Fair, fair, fair. Um, so the headlines hit today that Robinhood has just raised another 200 million in cash oh which sets their value at 11.2 billion. Now, this is another company that was I can't remember who started it up. I think it's Tech Guys, it could be Wall Street Guys, who knows. But these companies growing to this vast value in such a short amount of time just like mind-boggling. It's interesting because everyone I feel like is so focused on money and day trading right now. So there's no wonder that this app is popping off left and right. I wonder if they pay Dave Portnoy um, in shares for promoting their business because I feel like everybody is trading because of him. <laughs> it's crazy how much like even my little brother, I think we talked about like based on how he's recommending or just talking about what he's investing People can see in the market like how those stocks are fluctuating because people are just like listening to him. Totally. And because he's sexy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this company took off in a big way during the pandemic. I think it would have always grown because it was the whole catch with this company is zero fee. Unlike the E-Trades, unlike all these other brokerage firms in Canada, you did the TFSA instant trading. You had to pay. I can't remember. It's like $50 per trade. This company doesn't charge you at all. So um, they're growing like crazy. Robinhood just said on average, there was 4 million daily trades in June. So 4 million people making trades in the month of June alone, which outperformed all the publicly traded brokerage firms, like I just said, E-Trade, et cetera. Here's the exciting number. This app has surpassed 13 million active users. So we wow. think of like Disney. What was Disney? Are they 10 or 100 million? We just- I think li- it was 10. We literally just did this story, so I should know that. But this subscriber world where everything comes down to subscriber numbers, adding 13 million act, having 13 million active users on your app is a pretty huge number. Hence the, I guess, $11 billion market value. How does this company make money? So I was thinking originally it'd be like ad spend, similar to like most like tech apps. But I was reading that one of the co-founders of Robinhood said that they make a lot of their money from interest made by lending out investors idle cash so basically they're making money off of all the invested funds in the different consumers account which kind of makes me like nervous is that like a normal way to get revenue uh can get risky but i guess they are they also they charge you on trade for the market maker that has to do the trade so maybe that person as well charges a fee they get paid a fee or here's my real question are they selling data trades to hedge funds who will pay a shit ton of money to see like how many people are buying apple in a day how many people are selling facebook like funds are constantly looking for insights on data so could they be doing that who knows i should i guess i should look at my settings to see if they sell my data that's true that's a good way that's (laughs) probably like the only way we can find out or just assume that they do Have you seen all the drama with the TikTok stars and their clubhouses, Jess? I have, but this is totally your avenue. The only thing I want is access to one of those houses. It gives me huge house envy, but that's that's the that's what I know. I know it's crazy. There are these crazy mansions where they're like doing like putting treadmills on the roof and then jumping off them into the pool. But there's so much drama going behind the scenes at these viral collab houses that are filled with the biggest influencers on social media. So essentially a clubhouse is where a talent 
agency will rent it out and they'll subsidize a portion of the house in return for these creators to do a certain amount of brand partnerships and whatnot. And then they're responsible for paying the other portion of the rent. And so this is interesting because especially during this time, you have all the top creators who are going into these mansions that are cost like 20 plus K a month, right? For how many months? A lot of times they're stuck in them. This is your this is your world more than mine, but that's what I found really interesting is like the talent agencies paid for half the house, which was 18 to 20K. So 20K of that had to be made up. And that's monthly. So that's a 40K home. Yeah, it's monthly. And a lot of them were stuck during quarantine there. So you figure at least three, four months. And TikTok isn't an old app, right? A lot of people just blew up in the last year. So it's not like they have a shit ton of savings or whatnot. Like they're just getting into money and these crazy rates for their partnerships now and so this just reminds me like a lot of them what happens is they get a viral video on tiktok they're really talented a talent agency. yeah like how do they become famous like break that down for me as an influencer a lot of these creators are creating content hoping to become viral and then a agent they will see that they have a lot of potential to grow on these platforms right and going viral means you post a video and it takes off and you get noticed and that's so easy to do on tiktok right now and um, because of the algorithms is very different than an instagram which is much harder to grow but anyways these kids who are like 16 years old, 18 years old, they're offered a ton of money to sign with these agencies who promise them the world of being a millionaire, living in a crazy mansion, like knowing celebrities, whatever it may be. They get really excited. They sign these contracts. And what they don't understand is like they're basically signing their life away. So from a personal side, I started Butini when I was a senior in college, right? And so this was not for to be an influencer, but I was offered a lot of money at a young age to like make a decision and sign a contract that would determine my future, right? Like I signed this agreement for my business without having a parent, lawyer, or literally anyone read it because I was so excited. Like I was able to live my dream. An investor came to you at a young age. They sort of offered you a big amount of money and you were like, okay, do I go work in the corporate world or do I get to start my own business with all this money? Exactly. So it's, and that's where like these, a lot of these influencers are foregoing their college experience to be full-time creators. So I became a full-time entrepreneur. They became a full-time creator. And you really just don't know what the future is. You just don't know really how life works. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's what scares me reading all this is that here they're signing to be a part of these mansions that are tens of thousands of dollars a month. They're signing these agreements that they don't even know what they mean. And these people basically own them. And it just is something that I think that we're going to see a lot of lawsuits come out of it in the next few years because oh, totally. they're essentially owned by these talent agencies. And granted, every agreement has different stipulations. Some are really great and work out wonderfully. But this article in particular just showed how wrong and twisted this entertainment industry could be when you sign on with an agent right and for people that don't follow social media closely like and they want or they wonder or they follow it and they wonder how these influencers with a million following make money like like Britt said that's it you get brand sponsorship deals and that's what pays the bills and let's close today Britt with a story that our sponsor sent us and personally I'm really excited about because I love the idea of offering people who are also in the visa struggle right now another opportunity so it's getting very real for foreigners working in the U.S. and Canada may have your solution. A Canadian tech group has spent $100,000 on nine full-size billboards 
And they're stationing them at key points along Highway 101, which runs across the U.S., from San Francisco to Santa Clara, um, which is also known as Silicon Valley. Yeah, I've seen this a lot in the news. So the tech community in Canada is hoping to lure tech workers who are worried about losing their visa status in Silicon Valley and move them up to Canada, as Canada is working to position themselves as the next global leader in tech and IT. Now, I can very much attest to this because it has become increasingly stressful to work and live in the U.S. as a foreigner. Luckily, I'm safe with the kind of visa I'm on, but you start to wonder once you move your life down here, if you move your family, you're building relationships, you might buy real estate. When you're on a visa at any moment that those papers can be pulled and then you sort of just have like literally a week to leave. So I really love the idea of sending people up north, building stuff up there that we can work with the U.S. and, you know, come together as a next global leader in tech. So like we were talking earlier, there's been not many great shows coming out. I can't tell you the last time I've sat down and watched a movie. I feel like TV shows are coming out slower and slower and really the content's just drying up. And so, Agreed. Right? And that's where I think this is a huge opportunity for podcasts because I've always just sat in front of my TV on my couch before bed and now I'm finding myself like laying on my bed instead with my headphones in just listening to content instead and I am just exhilarated and I can't sleep. I get so excited just listening to people's voices and even with the Miley example that we talked about earlier, we've talked about how the modern day celebrity can be anyone from like an actor to singer to model but also be an influencer or podcast host and so having this mega singer Miley Cyrus with this mega podcast host Alex Cooper, it's this beautiful marriage of content that's real, it's raw, it's authentic. And so our play of the day is Guy Raz's How I Built This Podcast. And the episode that I just listened to is with the founder, Nancy Twine, who is the founder of Briogeo, which is a hair care line for all hair types. And so I highly recommend this. You're going to feel inspired. You're going to love the juiciness in the stories. And I hope you enjoy. I love this podcast. Everyone's got to listen. And thank you to today's sponsor, MillenniLink. You can find more information and details in our episode description. And that is www.millennilink.com.